What's going on, guys? AJ here back again, bringing you yet another episode of the E1B2 Collective Podcast. You know what? Um, you know what I've always found. Well, I thought it was a, you know, a weakness. Um, you know, I thought it was a weakness. Um, but I think I've partly flipped it into a positive, and partly, and partially, um. I just think it's a strength and I think it's something that more folks can capitalize on. I think, you know, I do think more folks do it than I probably think in my head. Um, But I don't think enough folks do it. And what I'm talking about is essentially, I believe. um, More HR folks in general, like I think even like down to the generous level, I think more HR folks in general that have a passion in the HR space, you know, you know, I, I think, I think what I do that's not necessarily a right thing is I bundle high performance and 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 people analytics and DE and I and 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 hiring and, and recruiting and talent acquisition processes and and neuroscience and you know I I bundle the world of work all into this one cluster. And I think if we're being honest with each other and some of this is some of the foundation of Project 2030 as I'm spitting it out. But um, once we really understand who we are in this space, you realize there's many people that are a lot of different things. And I think, number one, let's just actually pause there. I think there's folks that are super obsessed with, you know, high performance. There's folks that are super obsessed with HR tech and people analytics and the technology that can support our people function. You have folks that are super obsessed with people analytics. You have folks like me that are just super obsessed with kind of like human behavior and common sense. And, um, but also kind of making things pretty data driven through a, through a pretty important part of your company, which happens to be your employees and people. Um, I don't know, just, just a lot of different things. Right. And I think, I think we're all different. So that's just one thing, but I think transferring that statement in that conversation into a bigger conversation, which is, you know, I think the ones that are really doing interesting things are the ones. And when I say the ones I'm talking about, the folks that are in this space that are doing interesting things are the ones that are, um, consistently find new ways to love and do what it is they do in this world of work um, at a really innovative and different level every few years. And what I mean by that is I believe there's an ebb and flow of time where you're really putting your head down and becoming a practitioner. And then I think off of a subsect of, of, of tangible just things that you know in the space. Like there are folks in the DEI space that have like a toolkit of, let's say, 20 best practices, technology, frameworks, things that they utilize that, that, that are just their go-tos. And they haven't spent the time getting back in the gym, if you want to kind of do a sports analogy here, researching and finding new research and new best practices and new frameworks and new points of views and and just a new and new ways of conducting all things DEI. Like there are some old school DEI folks from from you know the early 2000s that were really fresh on that work that 
have not come around to the research and the data that crosses into the DEI and 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 HR tech world, right? There's folks that won't touch anything unless Sherm is behind it, and there's folks like kind of like me that are out there, you know. She's kind of big now, but when I started talking to her, was out there coming across really innovative things like Compt. That was like a startup, just like kind of, you know, in the in the woods, in, in the in the in the forest, they are kind of hanging behind the bushes. Not too many people knew about it. And then obviously, you know, a lot of Sherm backing and, and 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 a lot of different things happening now, which I'm very happy for Amy. And so what I'm saying is you have all different types of leaders in this HR space. And so what I want to see more of. What I've always thought, wrapping it all the way back to the beginning of my, my rant here, what I've always thought may have been um, a weakness of mine is, 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 is being very curious to learn how to do things differently, excited about what's out there, and, and just keeping my eye on the new things that are popping up of how to do what it is I love to do. And I think those that are the best have a, have a, have a foundational perspective like me, the foundational perspective that everything derives from is employees first, like just straight up. I'll never ever in life debate that. I'll never change that. I make arguments every day of the week of the employees first way and why it's better and how it's, how it makes common sense. Like there's a situation right now that I know of um, where I'm not going to say the organization because I have certain people that know about this company that listen to this. So I'll, I'll try to keep it broad. But I, I know of a situation right now where a simple employees first process like this could save a lot of things. Um, they are potentially approaching a uh, workflow conflict. That's making many employees feel overworked and then feel um, and feel like things are not organized in a way that behooves the employee to be them best selves, thus be the best selves for the consumer. Um, let's just keep it macro. And a few things have happened where there's been a few changes and adjustments and those changes and adjustments were made to appear like it was an employee's first um, change. But once you actually saw it in person, it wasn't. It was a control. It was an ego. It was a supervising, micromanaging change that disguised itself as an employee's first initiative. And a slight adjustment of going to each and every employee because the way the organization is set up is managers and executives that are inevitably making the policies and, and making the processes and making the decisions, those folks are not in the company. Are not like, like, yeah, like not physically in the company seeing things at a ground level consistently enough. The data sets, the person I got this information from, the data sets that person has versus the data set that the executive has is night and day. Like, this is something that I've been, like, freaking out about that I need everyone to understand. And please, I need a future employer to understand this as well. The amount of pressure and attention and live and die behavior I have on data, 
that drives from the people that actually make and serve and create and implement whatever it is we're doing in business. The amount of pressure I like to put on that and the amount of respect I put into that is a massive one because it just makes good goddamn business sense. And so to round out this example, if this organization would go to their employees, put their employees on a pedestal, have a one-on-one or group conversation, these are the managers of each office, let's say, and sit down with employees in a one-on-one 15 to 30-minute moment and talk strictly business, talk strictly workflows, talk strictly population. And, and for those that know this example, know what I'm talking about. Talk strictly population workflow, talk strictly the change that was made and how the change could genuinely be an employee's first change and, and just start really diving into a lot of different variables that would, would extract all of the great data that the employees have at the ground floor and could make a new solution that would behoove the bottom line and that would behoove the employees. Because the problem that they're, they're the, pro- the real problem that they're facing is the level of frustration and the level of annoyance is starting to complicate folks' um, ability to, pre- to be productive, number one, and ability to want to, and, and desire to want to be there, number two. Um, and then, you know, I, you know now, now the, the argument could be made that this is a type of job in industry where high rotation is inevitable. And there will always be someone to do this job. And so the bottom line is safe and protected. And I get that. And I get that in most businesses. But I think in this particular situation, why I think you put an employee's first mindset on, you make these slight adjustments, is because I do feel based off of this industry and this particular business, I do believe a three or five or 12% uptick when it comes to customer service could drive in a three to five to twelve percent uptick in and 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 um walk-ins that could produce based off the margins that I know about this industry that could produce seven plus figure extra per year. I do believe it can net out that way. This is not one of those examples where the the employee's first mindset is going to like drastically make the bottom line that much bigger. But this is one of those moments where the uh, employee's first mindset could sustain retention. Like in this particular example, just the sustaining of retention would take pressure off of upper management and executives from just like a, um, from just like a level of a quality, you know, a level of quality mentally, like a, like, like the, like a mental health quality, like doing good in business and really conducting the right strategies isn't always a money thing in pure business. It's also a mental health thing. So not having so much turnover, not having so many employees with attitudes or upset or bucking against systems would actually just make the mental health of the, of the executives better. So the punchline is the following. How I'm going to round all this out is the following. When you think about employees first, when you think about innovation, when you think about the role and responsibility you have 
And when you think about whether it's a good or a bad thing to either have traditional core best practices or keep your eyes open for innovations, the punchline is whatever it is that you're doing as a head of people, as a chief people officer, as a um, as a um, head of people and culture, as a as a chief DEI officer, as whatever it's going to be, um, I believe utilizing a combination of an employee's first mindset, utilizing people taxes to increase revenue and increase retention, um, while also really thinking about how you personally can find new and creative ways of doing that should all be the takeaways from this episode. So, as always, just a few thoughts, just a few out-of-the-box perspectives. We'll talk soon.